Sorry to all the people that had to wait for part two because I finally convinced Kristen to give it to me immediately after. But everyone else here, <laughs> unless they're a patron, had to wait. You know how long I've been waiting for this? Mm. Scott Peterson, I had to wait. <laughs> Jody Arias, I had to wait. Like, you're like, no. And now finally, I willed you down. Yes. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loved to tell these stories. And I'm Mo Gap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. So last week, slash an hour ago, we talked about the Sun Jim Gang's first victim, Mark Schiller, who was kidnapped by the steroid-addicted gym rats and held for a month while they cleaned him out of every single penny he had using forged documents created by the owner of the gym, John Meese. Yes. The ringleader of the crime was Danny Lugo and his buddies Adrian Dorball and Jorge Delgado. At the end of the month, the gang tried to kill Mark, but like a true Michael Malloy, <laughs> Mark refused to die. The police also refused to investigate. Or believe him. Yeah, Mark's story was so wild, no one believed a single word of it. And now it's time for part two. I just realized as you said all of that, the reason why you let us go back to back is because you didn't want me to have to remember all those names a week from now <laughs> and relearn <laughs> all of that. Because as you just said it, I thought there's no hope in hell that a week from now I would have <laughs> been able to recall any of that. Um, As I was reading the names, I was like, this was a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're listening to this right away, um, thank you so much for being a member of our Patreon. If you are listening to this a week later, hey, we have a Patreon. And <laughs> if you are interested in uh, additional content from us, you can head over there at patreon.com slash truecrimecreepers. We've got uh, several levels that you can choose from. You can get stuff like bo uh, bonus episodes, full-length bonus episodes, mini episodes that are on just all different kinds of stuff, some true crimes, some uh, Reddit-type stuff. Um, it's all fun. And then we also have a level over there that gets you ad-free episodes and a discount on merch. So You know what's also over there? What? Do you remember when you did me wrong with the white woman's Instagram, that popped up the other day and I thought, we don't talk about this enough. <laughs> so if you want to check out that beautiful work of art from Kristen. It is buried. Too. It's a post that's buried at the very beginning. But um, if you remember from uh, quarantine days, the Bo Burnham special, the white woman's Instagram, <laughs> I was pretty sure I could find an example. He lists a whole bunch of examples of things you find on a white woman's Instagram. And I was pretty sure that I could find an example from Mogab's Instagram, like of every single thing that he said. And, and I got pretty close. So I uh, screen took a lot of screenshots and set, set it to the song. And uh, 
it's up yeah. on our Patreon. It's like at the very like you got to scroll, but uh, maybe we'll do a little repost. It's buried, but the content is evergreen. <laughs> the content is evergreen. It might be buried. No, make the people dig. And it is worth a watch. <laughs> I just remembered that and I was like, wow, what a time. What a time. So this is part two. So if you've not listened to part one of our Sun Jim Gang episode, go listen to that. Because we're talking part two. And when we left off, Mark Schiller was trying to get the police to investigate this kidnapping. But his story was so wild that no one believed a single word of it. And the police refused to investigate. And this was really unfortunate because the Sun Jim gang was so arrogant that they felt like they'd never be caught. They had just taken Mark Schiller for nearly every penny he had, and it had been so easy. They'd made millions in just a month, and they'd completely gotten away with it. Not just pennies. They made out with light switches. Like, they took things off the wall. Light switches, the fan. Family photos. They took the family photos. They took the 10-person jacuzzi tub. I mean, they're they're staying the night and eating the ice cream, you know? Mm-hmm. But by, but by May of 1995, they'd already burned through it all, partying and going to strip clubs, and they were ready for their next score. And this time, they were going to make sure that their next mark was really dead by the time they were finished with them. It wasn't long before their next victim was all lined up. It was a Jamaican man named Winston Lee who was a regular at Sun Jim. He wasn't quite Mark Schiller rich, but he was rich enough. He owned an auto repair shop that did all right. And also Adrian Dorball just didn't like him. He'd heard Winston calling him stupid, which, you know, the shoe fits. (laughs) So Adrian Dorball, Danny Lugo, and Jorge Delgado started plotting their next scheme. They decided to leave Carl Weeks and Stevenson Pierre out of it, saying they hadn't done much to help the last time. And also they know that Mogab can't keep up with that many names. So <laughs> it was just the three of them. <laughs> By April of 1995, around the same time that Mark Schiller and Ed Dubois are frantically trying to get the police to believe their story, Danny had come up with the plan to get Winston Lee. Jorge would pose as a UPS delivery man at Winston's front door. Mm. And then Adrian and Danny would rush him when he opened the door. They couldn't use Jorge's warehouse again to keep him, so Danny planned to lease another one nearby. One person was added to the Sun Jim gang for this plan, and that was Danny's 25-year-old girlfriend, Sabina Petrescu. You might be wondering, oh, I thought Danny was married and that his wife was pregnant. Wait, did I know that? Well, you know that now. Okay. And yes, he is. And yes, she is. But I don't think you understand, Mogab, that Sabina was super hot. No, I understand it. (laughs) She'd been Miss Romania back in 1990, and she'd come to America to try to make it as a model and an actress. But the talent scout that had approached her with modeling gigs turned out to just be a guy getting her jobs dancing at strip clubs. Mm. Apparently, this is like a pretty common scam that they pull on these like Eastern European women. They get them over here with promises of modeling gigs and then they just like put them in a strip club. But then like when you get to the strip club, aren't you like, oh, this isn't a pageant. This is a strip club. 
Or are you like yeah, but thinking you, you'll make it eventually if you just do this for a little bit? Well, I think bit. they they can't do anything about it. They can't yeah. leave. Like, you yeah. know, they don't have any resources. She'd found her way to the strip clubs of Miami where Danny had found his way to her. Sabina was under the impression that Danny was a CIA agent and he put her up in a one-bedroom townhouse in Miami Lakes and told her she'd never have to strip again and he'd take care of her. Her townhouse was conveniently located just a few miles from Danny's pregnant wife, Lucretia. Adrian Doorbell moved nearby, too, and she was told that he, too, was a CIA agent, and she was sworn to secrecy. Oh, okay. A few a few things didn't add up for Sabina. First of all, Danny would talk about his federal probation, and he was ecstatic when it was finally ending. Yeah, that doesn't track. Right. She didn't understand how a CIA agent could be on probation. And the name Mark Schiller seemed to keep coming up. A bad man that Danny had taken down as part of the CIA. But none of this seemed to matter after Danny proposed. Oh, but you can have two wives? <laughs> well, you can have a wife and a fiance. Well, like a wife and a mistress. I understand how that works. But this feels like planning a wedding is... seems complicated well she started getting gifts from Danny like new furniture and paintings oh I wonder where he acquired those (laughs) right which she later learned all came from the bad man Mark Schiller's house was he like here's a family photo of not either one of our families (laughs) here's a family photo of another family that has kids like we'll we might have kids kids someday this is great. She told Danny this. that she didn't want any of it, but she flew home to Romania to tell her parents about her engagement, and he moved even more of Mark's stuff into her place. Oh my gosh. Then Danny got her a car, a BMW station wagon. But one day she had to look in the owner's manual and she saw the name Mark Schiller in there. <laughs> this had been Mark's wife's car. Danny had had the VIN number replaced before giving it to Sabina, but he forgot to check if he'd written his name in the manual. So everybody right now, go write your name yeah, in I your just, manual. Who's doing that? Yeah. Danny told her that the CIA wanted to capture Winston Lee, who was a known Palestinian terrorist, and that he was recruiting her to help. She wasn't really sure about this plan at first, but she didn't want to seem unpatriotic to her new country and also didn't want to seem ungrateful to Danny, who had rescued her from the strip club. So she said yes. Danny ditched the UPS idea and instead he moved uh, Sabina next door to Winston Lee. The new plan, as she knew it, was that she would make friends with him, eventually lure him to her apartment, where Danny and Adrian would lay in wait to take him to an agency warehouse the CIA used. Like Mark Schiller, Winston Lee had no idea that Danny and Adrian were staking out his townhouse, taking pictures of the windows and the doors. But it actually turned out that Winston went back and forth to Jamaica way too often to figure out when they could put their plan into action. They just couldn't get, like, a schedule of this guy. Wait, why did they pick Winston again? Because he was a rich guy that Adrian didn't like because he'd called him stupid. Yeah, but that was, I mean, just random, basically. He was a guy that, like, worked out at the gym and Adrian didn't like him. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and also, Danny wasn't able to actually get an apartment in his building for Sabina. So they decided that Winston Lee would get to live. Okay. It wasn't long before Adrian had their next victim all lined up. He'd started dating a stripper who danced at the same club as Sabina, a gorgeous Hungarian woman named Beatrice w- uh, Weiland. Oh, I love that name. Beatrice. And it's with a Z. Beatrice. Okay, I like it a little bit less now, but <laughs> Bellatrix. <laughs> but it's not like a weird American Z. It's a Hungarian Z. Oh, okay. Then I like it more. <laughs> on a scale yeah. of one to ten, let me tell you how much yeah. I like this name. Okay, moving on. He was at her place one day flipping through a photo album when he saw a photo of Beatrice's mother standing next to a $250,000 Lamborghini Diablo. Oh, I'm very familiar with that car. Oh, uh, are you? Yes. I'm not because it's $250,000 and that's more than I paid for my house. So <laughs> he asked Beatrice who owned the car and she said it was an ex-boyfriend of hers named Frank Griga, a man that she had nothing but good things to say about. Oh, that seems suspicious. Frank Griga was a 32-year-old Hungarian immigrant who had come to America with nothing in search of the American dream. And he had achieved it, making millions by running a phone sex empire. Frank was described by friends as one of the nicest, kindest people you could ever meet. He was polite and unassuming, though a bit ostentatious with his newfound wealth. That's why he owns a quarter of a million dollar car. Beatrice said he was the most generous man she'd ever known. Frank had moved to New York in the mid-80s. He worked at car washes and repair shops before moving to Miami in 1988 and getting a job at a luxury car dealership. Hmm. This is like eight years earlier. You know, he's working at car washes and then getting a job at a dealership. Yeah, like what are we doing though? (laughs) And then eight years later, he owns one of these cars. It was his dream to one day own these cars, not to sell them. So he got some investors together and he cracked into the 800 and 900 number phone line markets. It started with a phone line that gave callers information on used cars. And then he got into weather information lines. It's amazing what we had to do before the internet. (laughs) Did he invent movie phone? Thank you for calling movie phone. I think that was some I think that was like the movies theaters that that were like we need to do this but um yeah he finally hit it big with his sex phone line that he started with a friend. They put ads in Penthouse and Hustler and they charged people $5 a minute to talk with phone actors. And soon enough, he was making millions. $5 a minute? $5 a minute. Frank loved spending his money on fast cars, but he also owned a mansion in one of Florida's most exclusive communities, a condo in the Bahamas, and a yacht christened Foreplay. (laughs) Ah, wow. After he and Beatrice split up, she'd introduced him to his current girlfriend, 23-year-old Christina Furton, who danced at the Crazy Horse 2 in Fort Lauderdale. Soon, they were completely in love. Christina was from a Hungarian military family, and she'd come to Miami just two years before. She'd come to America speaking no English and with no money, but with a job lined up as an exotic dancer at a high-end club. 
where women work only for tips and so they can get by without green cards. Nothing says true love like not being able to communicate at all. Well, he's from Hungary. Oh, that's right. Never mind. Yeah. I do love that, he's though. An, I, you know, again, um, all of my... <laughs> 90 Day Fiance. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're yeah. so in love. I'm like, you guys have not spoken once and it's to each other, but... Congratulations. You're right. Beatrice told Adrian that Frank often scouted at Solid Gold, the strip club that she and Sabina danced at, for models for the ads for his phone sex line. So just for the pictures, not you're they're yeah. not the girls they're talking to on the phone. Right. When Adrian asked her to set up a meeting saying that he and Danny Lugo wanted to talk to him about a business venture, See, she said she didn't really talk to him anymore, but could try to reach out to her ex-husband, Attila Wyland, to arrange a meeting. Huh. Attila was friends with Frank and also interested in getting into a business with him. When Adrian met up with Attila, he said he didn't really understand the business as well as Danny, but that it had to do with phone lines in India and a company called Interling International. Attila thought it sounded perfect and he offered to put in a good word to Frank. I cannot believe you trying to write this script. Like, I, I can't. How are there so many people? I wrote a story with three people in it, four people, basically, and I thought I was going to lose my mind. This must have taken you two years, minimum. This is why I did nothing else all summer. So Adrian's new girlfriend is Beatrice. Beatrice has the ex-boyfriend, Frank Griga, but she also has an ex-husband, Attila Wyland. Attila and Frank are buds. Who has and a Lamborghini? So Frank. Frank Riga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Beatrice does. So they're trying to get to Frank, the yeah. one with the Lamborghini. They're trying to con him like yeah. they did Mark. And so they asked, Adrian asked Beatrice to get him in touch with Frank. Well, she yeah. said, I don't really talk to him anymore, but I can ask Attila, my ex-husband. He still right. talks to him. So Adrian met up with her ex-husband who liked this like business idea that Adrian mm-hmm told him about that he and Danny were going to present to Frank. Well, Winston really lucked out here with his busy schedule. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Adrian continued pestering Beatrice with questions about Frank, and she was starting to get weirded out by him. She didn't like all the weapons that he had in his home and car, and she was very suspicious of where all of his money was coming from. She knew that he was lying when he told her that he and Danny were international tycoons and that he was just one big score away from retiring to a private island. Ladies, anyone that introduces themselves as a tycoon is absolutely a red flag. Right. And Beatrice never saw him working on anything. (laughs) All he did was work out at Sun Gym and hang out at Solid Gold, the strip club that she danced at. She also didn't believe him when he tried the actually I'm a CIA agent storyline that Danny had been so successful with. Danny, I think, is a much better like liar and manipulator. He's a bit more charming than Adrian. So Adrian explained that he was actually a subcontractor to the CIA through Danny. Beatrice thought Adrian was ridiculous and was also a little afraid of him. So She broke things off amicably, but by this time, Adrian didn't really care because he still had this connection to Attila Weiland. Meanwhile, Adrian and Danny were trying to find another person to help them with their plan. 
At this point, I'm not sure how involved Jorge Delgado was, but they approached Big Mario, the guy that they'd hired for $1,000 to act as an intimidator for Mark Schiller. They also approached Carl Weeks, but both of them said, hell no. Mario didn't want to ever be involved in anything like that ever again, though he was only there for the actual kidnapping. I'm not sure that he knew about anything that came after, like that month of torture. And Carl had gotten too paranoid and afraid of the Sun Jim gang. He thought this was a trick so they could kill him. So he was like just trying to keep his distance as far as he could from them. Yeah, Carl, get out of there. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. 
Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Right. When they both said no, Danny once again recruited Sabina to take part in the plan. He'd just gotten back from a supposed trip to CIA headquarters, and he told her that he needed her help again with another undercover operation for the USA. The FBI wanted him to capture a man named Frank Griga, who used Hungarian women for sex and also was in trouble for his taxes. Sabina was eager to help, and Danny's plan was simple. They'd kidnap Frank and his girlfriend Christina from Frank's house, while Danny and Adrian broke into the house to handcuff, to handcuff, gag, tranquilize, and blindfold them, Sabina would wait outside until Adrian drove Frank's Lamborghini out of the garage. She'd then pull Danny's Mercedes into the garage, where Danny would stash Frank and Christina into the trunk. Bada bing, bada boom, thank you for your service to your country, Sabina. Wow, America. Sabina was hesitant. She didn't understand why they had to take the girlfriend, too, but Danny said that she knew too much and she'd talk if they let her go, but he swore that they wouldn't hurt her. On Friday, May 19th, Christina threw a surprise party for Frank's 33rd birthday. Attila Weiland attended and spoke to Frank about the business deal with Adrian. Frank said he'd be happy to sit down with them and discuss it. So the next night, Attila rode with Danny and Adrian over to Frank's house no. with Attila giving directions from the back seat. Danny and Adrian were dressed to impress. Tailored suits, ties, and Mark Schiller's presidential Rolex on Adrian Dorball's wrist. Huh. Frank's impression of them was that they seemed like nice guys. Frank was interested in their business pitch and told them he might even invest more than a million dollars. After the pitch, Christina gave Danny and Adrian a tour of the mansion. Okay. That night, while Sabina watched, Danny and Adrian packed guns, handcuffs, oh. rope, syringes, and horse tranquilizers to prepare for the kidnapping, which they decided would go down the next day. Where is everyone getting horse tranquilizer? Never mind. The black, the black, <laughs> Nocturne Alley on the black Google market. <laughs> From Nocturne Alley. <laughs> I just feel like it's always like, we got a horse trinkle. I guess the other one, they were at a horse show, but I just am feeling like, <laughs> like who's getting these? Yeah, I don't know how they got them. The next day was Sunday, May 21st, 1995, almost exactly one month after Mark Schiller had gone to police to report his own kidnapping by these same people. 
Perhaps if the police had done the tiniest bit of investigating instead of laughing them out of the office. Like opening that folder just like two pages in maybe. Mm -hmm, Right. This story would have a different ending. Oh, this makes me sad. That's not really fair. They had actually done the tiniest bit of investigating. Ed Dubois, the private investigator, he'd finally gotten a hold of a buddy of his that happened to be the director of the Metro-Dade Police Department, who had told the robbery detectives, Deegan and Meyer, to look into Mark's story. You know, the detectives that had literally laughed Mark out of their office. Detective Deegan went out to Schiller's house to find that it appeared abandoned. She talked with some of his neighbors who ID'd Danny Lugo and said they'd been told that he was a federal agent and they had signed for some packages for him addressed to Mark Schiller. Like everything was matching Mark's story. But she never went to speak to Danny Lugo. Instead, she submitted a subpoena for Mark's bank and credit card accounts, his UPS invoice and his Amex statements. And while she waited for those reports to come back, she went on to other things. She didn't really look into this at all. So while she's sitting around waiting for those reports to come back, on May 21st, 1995, Danny, Adrian, and Sabina drove over to Frank's mansion. You know, when they could have, like, been under surveillance or, like, whatever. On the way, they realized they'd forgotten to pack duct tape, so they stopped into a store to pick up some duct tape. Okay. Is that even necessary? Like, if you already got the guns and the tranquilizer, like... That's how they do their uh, blindfold. I know, but like. Got to have them blindfolded. But it's like you're going to your plan is to kill them. them. So why even blindfold them? When Adrian got out of the car, Sabina saw that he had a handgun sticking out of his waistband and Danny had to run in to tell him to hide it. (gasps) Like real criminal masterminds at work here. Yeah. Well, we knew that in the very beginning when I thought they were all going to fall asleep in the front yard. Right. After they got the duct tape, Danny called Frank to ask him if they could stop by. Frank said no problem, and they drove right through the security gate. Sabina said she'd never seen Danny and Adrian look so happy. Like, they were amped for this. When they walked up to the front door, Danny knocked over a garbage can on accident, and Christina opened the door, and the two went inside while Sabina waited. I feel so bad for her. I know. I know. And she sat there waiting for several minutes, imagining what was going on inside. But when she next saw Danny and Adrian, they were walking out the front door empty handed. Adrian was screaming at Danny on the drive back that they should have done it. But Danny kept telling him that the timing wasn't right. So instead, he created a new plan. They would invite Frank and Christina out for dinner and invite them over afterwards. Sabina would pretend to be Danny's wife and befriend Christina while Danny and Adrian took Frank into another room. Okay. But their visit to the house had had made Frank feel uneasy. Danny had gifted him a laptop to let him know how excited he was to do business with him. And Frank found the gift weird, unnecessary, and over the top. But he agreed to the dinner. But Danny came back from the dinner alone. Mission aborted, and he'd gotten into a fight with Adrian. This whole thing gave Frank Griga time to look into this prospective deal with Danny and do his due diligence. He researched the company information package and ran the proposal by a stockbroker friend to get his opinion. Everything seemed solid, 
on the up and up. It looked like a good deal. How Danny Lugo came up with this, I do not know. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they've really thought anything else out, though. I mean, he was coming up with like Medicare fraud and like all of these other frauds. So yeah. I don't but they, they were so simple. I mean, like the idea for the Medicare fraud is not complicated, but this like India, it's like this telecommunications thing in India. Like he had to know something about it. I don't know how yeah. he came up with this, but somehow he did. So Danny and Adrian met Frank at his house so that they could leave together for another business dinner. Tons of people saw them there. A guy that was at the house selling Frank a jet ski. A neighbor walking her dog stopped by to say hello. Frank's housekeeper arrived with her daughter. All of them were introduced to Danny and Adrian before they left with Frank and Christina for dinner. The neighbor told the one that was walking her dog, she told her husband that she didn't like these new business guys. and She had a really bad feeling about them. Which just kind of shows how well-liked Frank is that, like, as they're there, all these people are, like, stopping by and, yeah. you know. I don't know why, but, well, I I know why, because it's, like, the only movie I've watched in the last three years. But I'm just picturing Gatsby as Frank. Oh. <laughs> a Hungarian Gatsby. Yeah. Yeah. Very handsome with a with a Lambo. The restaurant was closed by the time they got there, so they all went to Adrian's townhouse. It's Adrian Dorball, Danny, Frank, and Christina. Whole crew. Danny kept Christina occupied in the living room watching a show on Mark Schiller's 50-inch TV. I like how you reference everything that's Mark still like. Mark's Rolex, <laughs> yeah. Mark's TV, Mark's B- whatever. Yeah, it's all his. I know. While Adrian and Frank... While Adrian and Frank went into the other room to supposedly talk about the business. But soon, an obvious fight was breaking out in there. So loud, Christina heard. She ran into the room, Danny right behind her, to see Adrian grabbing Frank in a headlock, strangling him. Frank was bleeding from the head, and there was blood splattered all over the walls, the computer screen, and the sliding glass doors. Christina started to scream, and Danny covered her mouth, tackling her to the ground. He handcuffed her and bound her feet with duct tape and then wrapped the tape around her eyes and mouth before injecting her with the horse tranquilizer. Wait, where's Sabina? She's in the car. No, this is a different night. She's not here. She's not here. Frank was unconscious, but they gave him the tranquilizer too, just in case. Mission completed. Unfortunately, they needed Frank alive to get all his money from him, Mm -hmm. and Adrian had overdone it. Frank was dead. (gasps) They would not be getting any money out of him at all, and now they have a body to dispose of. Wait, for real dead? Yeah, for real dead. They dumped him in Adrian's bathtub while they figured Mm. out how to dispose of his body and figured they could at least get Frank's front door keypad numbers and other information from Christina before they killed her, too. Jorge Delgado, as a reminder, he was the guy that was friends with Mark Schiller until he Mm -hmm. became another lackey of Danny Lugo's. He was in on this plan, too. So he was at home waiting for Danny to call for his help getting Frank and Christina to the warehouse for the torture and the extortion, just like with Mark. But the call never came, so Jorge just went to bed. Danny called Jorge in the morning to tell him how badly they'd messed up their kidnap and murder for profit plan, 
So he came over to Adrian's to see what he could do to help. And when he got there, he realized they'd set the AC so low, it felt like a walk-in freezer. (gasps) Frank was dead in the bathtub. Christina was unconscious, her ankles, wrists, and mouth bound with duct tape. Christina started to come to, and they started telling her to give them the security codes to Frank's house. And she's like, I have duct tape on my mouth, you idiots. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. Christina didn't speak much English, only Magyar, the Hungarian language. And in her state, she couldn't understand anything. She could barely breathe. But she started just kind of rattling off some numbers and Danny wrote them down. And then they gave her another tranquilizer injection and she was out. They called in another guy to give him a hand, a power lifter from the gym, 6'5", 250 pounds of muscle, named John Raimondo. Like, I'm not just, like, getting calls and going, like, you were right in the beginning when you said this gym is just full of, like, terrible people. Like, I'm sorry, you can't just randomly come like, hey, we got this body. Can you come help us lift it? Like, I'm asking some questions. I'm saying no. On top of that, he was a cop. What? Can't be. But a cop that constantly bragged about committing home invasions and he'd claimed to be an expert at body disposal how does one figure they're an expert in such a right danny called him told him what was up and that he'd pay him really well if he got rid of the bodies oh lord and then there was another guy in the truck with john when he got the call another son gym rat named santiago gonzalez They said they'd give him $9,000 in cash, plus a Rolex, plus a $250,000 Lambo. Santiago said, get me the hell out of this truck. So John dropped him off and went to Adrian's townhouse to help. He walked in, picked Christina up by the ankles with one hand, and told them they'd have to finish her off, and then he could help with the disposal. He told them they were a bunch of amateurs and left. Literally, it's been two years into this podcast, but the fact that people like this exist is so insanely shocking to me. This cop that's like an expert at body disposal walks into a scene like this that he's not involved with at all and is like, you're a bunch of amateurs. Let me take it from here. God. Yeah, that's the scary part. It just amazes me. And just like walking in and picking Christina up by the ankles and saying, you're going to have to kill her. It amazes me that a person can be so cavalier about the suffering of another person. Yeah, so detached. So detached. As if they're not human the same way that you're human. I just don't get people that don't have that connection. And that, like, they they have to care about one person, right? Like, either they have a kid or maybe... Yeah, they're, like, there's right. like one person... That they care about enough that, like, if someone did that to them, they would be heartbroken. Like, one person. That's crazy to me. I know. Danny decided now that they had the codes to the house, he'd swing by Frank's and hopefully be able to get into his safe and get his financial records. And all might not be totally lost for him. He picked up Sabina, who did not know the details of what had happened the night before. But she knew that something had gone wrong because Danny had gone home the night before and cried on the couch about it with her but she didn't know what was what had happened but when they got to the house they used the numbers that christina had been rattling off and the codes were wrong 
He called Adrian to try to get the correct numbers out of Christina, but she was already dead. <gasps> Too late. So, like, literally they got nothing out of this that they were planning on. Right. No. Just a headache. Car. Two bodies now they yeah. have to, distur- to dispose of. Poor Danny. His plan was ruined. So he stole Frank's mail, hoping there would be something in there, and drove back to the townhouse, dropping Sabina off on the way. Danny, Adrian, and Jorge waited for John Raimondo, to show, who's the cop, to show up to help with the bodies, but hours went by and he never came, so they'd have to do it themselves. Adrian slept that night at the townhouse with two dead bodies in there Ooh. and with it freezing cold. That's the worst part. Yeah. The next morning, Jorge rented a white Ford van from a U-Haul franchise while Danny and Adrian went to Home Depot and got red plastic cleaning buckets, 10-gallon containers of tar to repair roads, floor fans, industrial-strength towels, trash bags, propane tanks, face goggles, gardening gloves, a security grate that can, like, fit over a window, a fire extinguisher... And a gas-powered chainsaw. I need people outside of these, like at a Sam's Club, where they got to look at your itemized receipt and be like, why, <laughs> why do you need all this? Like, why? I just need one what police. What is the project you are working on? Yeah. I just need a police officer mm-hmm. stationed outside of these, like, stores looking at the itemized receipts. I know. They paid with Adrian's credit card, and the total with tax was $666. You're adding a pack of gum every time (laughs) at the checkout. Yeah, I'll take this Hershey bar with almonds. Thanks. People are doing too much. Like, they they just did supermarket Mm -hmm. sweep in there. Like, you didn't even know what your plan was, so you bought one of everything. So Too many accoutrements. They actually... They actually did have a plan, and they use almost all of these things, and I'm going to tell you about it. Oh, no, Mm -hmm. thank you. (laughs) Back at the townhouse, they put Frank Grigga's body into Mark Schiller's couch that Adrian had stolen, and they put Christina Furton into a U-Haul clothing box stuffed with styrofoam popcorn, and they loaded them into the van, and then they headed to Danny's warehouse. You said in a couch? Or on a couch. Yeah. They like put him like in the in couch. The, okay. In the right. couch. Okay. The only thing they had to show for this whole scheme was Frank's Lamborghini that was parked in the warehouse. They cut the clothes off the bodies, sprayed them down with Windex, and wiped them down to get off any fingerprints. Next, next task on the list was to put together the power chainsaw. But none of them could figure it out. (laughs) Unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. I'm not interested in this anymore. When they finally put it together, they realized that they needed motor oil to make it run. So Jorge went out to get some and he picked up a a Subway sandwich on the way back. But when they tried to start the chainsaw, they... With no oil in it, they burned out the engine. And so now it wouldn't start at all. So... Thank goodness. They have ruined the chainsaw. Back at Frank's house, his housekeeper arrived to find that Frank's dog, Chopin, Chopin, was barking like crazy. Oh, like the composer? It's, well, it's C-H-O-P-I-N, so Uh, I think so. Yeah, that's cute. 
It made the housekeeper Esther afraid to go in. One of the neighbors, Judy Bartuzzi's, was Christina's best friend. And so she went down and asked her to go into the house with her. And they walked in to see that Chopin had completely torn the house apart. But Frank and Christina never left the dog unattended. They didn't even kennel him. She found two round-trip international airline tickets departing from Miami that left the free- the previous day. But next to the tickets were two passports, their birth certificates, and U.S. reentry forms. So they hadn't gotten on the flight. She then realized that she'd they'd never come home from that business dinner Wednesday night. Hmm. Judy told Esther to go home and not touch anything, and then she ran home and she told her husband everything. So Judy's husband, this is the neighbor, started calling everyone they knew and their network of friends, and Judy jumped in her car and headed to the restaurant they were supposed to eat at Wednesday night, Shula's Steakhouse. And so she started asking around about a yellow Lamborghini, and one parking attendant remembered it because you do not forget a car like that. So she drove around and she didn't see the car, but she did see a gold Mercedes that she remembered parked in the driveway at Frank's house that night that she met two musclehead business guys. You also don't forget the guys, I feel like. Right. Like huge. Right. So she wrote the license plate number down and she went home. She and her husband called the police and within minutes, the police chief, Stanley Kramer, was there. Judy took him inside Frank's house and explained how her friends had disappeared. Everyone needs good friends like Judy Partuzas. I think if if Mark Schiller had had friends like Judy, like a neighbor friend like Judy yeah. that was there and like that's knew what him I was really saying. Well, Where were his neighbors? Thinking that the CIA had taken over his house. The chief agreed. This did not look good. Meanwhile, Danny took that chainsaw back to Home Depot to get a refund and then went and bought a fully assembled Remington power cutter that was all electric. Back at the warehouse, they put that security grate that would fit over a window. They put that over the two 55-gallon drums so that the drums would catch the blood. Oh, my God. Adrian would do the honors. When they finished, put the pieces together, when they finished doing that, They dumped the pieces into the barrels and the buckets that they'd purchased. Then they realized they needed to remove the teeth and the fingerprints. And if you want to find out how, you can go read the article because they will tell you how they did that. But then it was time for Adrian to go on a date with a pretty nurse named Cindy that he dumped for Beatrice. But when Beatrice dumped him, he had gotten back with Cindy. Cindy. Then they decided to get married on her 32nd birthday, which was the next month. So Adrian's doing real well just in life. This just feels like a joke. The more characters you add, like I want to count how many different Cindy, Beatrice. I mean, like this is truly insane. There's never been more people in an episode before. I'm not even keeping track anymore. Just not. I refuse. Well, you don't have to worry about Cindy. She's not important. Jorge had to return the van, so he dropped Adrian off on the way while Danny stayed behind to wrap things up there. And when Jorge returned, he saw that Danny had just set the barrel on fire where anyone could see it. Yeah, okay, but at least set it on fire. That's what I've been saying this whole time. <laughs> just please, just... Oh, God. 
They ended up rolling the barrel into the back alleyway. So Adrian canceled his date with Cindy. He said he was too tired, but told her that he'd be by later because the next day he was supposed to go wedding dress shopping. But he told her he couldn't because he had something to do with Danny in Miami. So Cindy was real suspicious. Oh, I forgot. Cindy is important. Cindy was suspicious. (laughs) Well, she's the last one that's entered into mm -hmm. my brain. So So when Adrian left in his car, she followed him (gasps) to the Home Depot. She thinks he's cheating. Uh Uh-huh. And so she asked him what he was doing there at the Home Depot, and he told her that the fight that he told her about had happened at his townhome, and there was blood on the walls, and he needed to repaint it fast because he was afraid he was going to be deported. So Cindy told him that she would help. And while he went into the Home Depot, she ran to get cookies and cleaning rags, and then she painted over the speckles of blood at Adrian's townhouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Frank's Lamborghini was found abandoned in a wooded area known for Santeria rituals. The doors were open, the windows were down, and the key was still in the ignition. Wait, how are we just doing that to a Lambo? How are we just throwing it in the woods with the keys in the ignition? I know. And there were no clues around. The car, the car hadn't been reported stolen for some reason. And so they took it to police impound. What are you doing if you walk up and you see that? And, like, no one's around. Are you getting I'm in? taking it for a little testy drive. I'm taking yeah. it for a little test drive. <laughs> I'm messing with the evidence. I'm going taking it for a spin. Oops. Yeah, same. Danny then went to yet another member at Sun Gym to get involved in all oh this. <laughs> Just, uh, just, we don't need a name. It's fine. <laughs> big Mario had said no. Oh, Big Mario. But, but there was a little Mario that <gasps> had been asking Danny for a job. Wait, is it really little Mario? <laughs> like yeah. the rapper? Li- I mean, little. It's little. L-I-L. Little not, Mario. Not li- no, little. L-I-T-T-L-E. Oh. Well, that was little a missed Mario. opportunity. <laughs> he, in 1994. <laughs> oh, wait, is that Bow Wow? Mar- no, I think that's Mario. And you say he just ran off. Couldn't tell you the difference between the two. Couldn't pick him out of a lineup except that Bow Wow's in Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yeah, so you could then. <laughs> he told little Mario that he'd pay him to take some barrels from his warehouse to a drainage ditch in southwest Miami. And little Mario was like, sure thing. On May 30th, Adrian and Cindy got married. Happy day for the happy couple. Who's got time for a wedding Mm -hmm. during all this? Right. And then Adrian got a call from Attila Weiland, who was frantic about calls from the police about Frank and Christina's disappearance, as well as calls from Frank's sister in Hungary threatening Danny and Adrian. He asked him if he had anything to do with this to please tell him because he'd already told the police everything. And so had Beatrice. Adrian said, you know, Attila, you're supposed to be my friend. You should stay my friend. Oh, what's a threat if I've ever heard one? Right. And to me, it just shows the level of arrogance that we're working with here. Yeah. Like they just believe they were invincible and could do whatever they wanted. And they're just a bunch of ding dongs over here. Like friendship doesn't matter here at this point. No. And they'd been seen by, as you pointed out, so many people. Yeah. 
Not to mention they were at the dinner that Frank and Christina never returned from. So all the people at the restaurant that that noticed them and saw them. So many of their friends and neighbors had seen them at the house. Lloyd Alvarez, the guy that was selling the jet ski to Frank, Uh and he'd talked to Danny and Adrian for a while at his house. He saw Danny driving behind Frank's yellow Lamborghini down the road after the disappearance. Like he saw him driving this car. Eight days after they'd gone missing, their disappearance was finally put together with what happened to Mark Schiller. (gasps) And Captain... Because no one believed Mark. So Captain Al Harper made a call to Ed Dubois. Now, Captain Harper had been one of the few people in law enforcement that had tried to help Dubois with Mark's kidnapping case. Harper had heard at roll call that morning that the suspects in the possible abduction of a wealthy Hungarian businessman and his girlfriend all worked at a gym and their names all sounded familiar. So he was calling to see if it was the same guy. So that's how they put it together. Got it. So Ed Dubois went through the facts of Mark's case one more time, and Captain Harper said that he had to come in and speak with the homicide team supervisor, Sergeant Jimenez. Yeah, gladly. Dubois agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he felt vindicated. They'd all yeah. see he was right. But he was sad because he realized that his prediction had come true. And if they'd just listened to him in the first place, they would not have had the opportunity to strike again. Later, after the bodies were found, Dubois asked one investigator how it felt to have blood on their hands. Mm. Dubois walked Sergeant Jimenez through Mark's case, how the Sun Jim guys had kidnapped Mark from the Schlotskys, chained him in a warehouse for a month, and tortured him until he signed over asset after asset. He told him how they'd staged a fiery car crash after plying him with alcohol and sleeping pills, and then they'd run him down twice, and how he'd miraculously survived all of this and was now living with his family in Colombia trying to put his life back together. Dubois also told Jimenez that he'd already given all of this information to the police six weeks ago, and every single department they spoke with had completely blown him off. And now that there were two more victims, they were finally ready to listen. They called Mark and asked if he'd be willing to come back and help with the investigation. And to Mark's credit, he agreed to fly to Miami the next day. Oh, I don't know that I'd be doing that. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you, you guys can. But I think the thing is, at this point, they don't know that the couple is dead. And they yeah. kept Mark alive for a month. So uh, I think he's thinking I could help them find these people and they could yeah. survive because they'll they're going to kill them. When he got there, they were taken to homicide, not robbery. And he was pretty salty that they were all there were all these detectives willing to help him now. And he just was wondering where they'd all been for him. But he wanted to help. He wanted to try to save this couple. Yeah. So he told them about how Jorge Delgado had been a business partner of his and how he'd recognized Danny's voice. He gave them Adrian Dorball's name and Lillian Torres, Danny's ex-wife, yeah. who'd been made beneficiary of his uh, $2 million life insurance policy. And he told them about John Meese, owner of Sun Jim, who had helped facilitate the transfers of all this money and property over to the Sun Jim gang. And this time... They all listened. No one asked him to take a polygraph. Oh, there's no clapping. Yeah. No one reminded him that it's a crime to file a false police report. 
Mark told them to check the warehouse where Jorge Delgado kept his jet skis. But when they looked there, the only thing they found was a chainsaw. Cindy, Adrian's new bride, was also catching on to Adrian's shit. Yes. She was putting all the two and twos together and realized with absolute horror that she had helped cover up the murder of the missing Hungarian couple that had been all over the news. And when she confronted Adrian about it, he told her, what you don't know won't hurt you. Are you kidding? Could you imagine? You like just got married. No. Mm -mm. So sad. Not only did you just get married, you just painted over blood on the walls where there was a murder. Yeah, but she didn't know. Yeah. I mean, still. But you're realizing that. I mean, she's realizing what that's what she did. Search warrants were served at Danny's, Adrian's, Jorge's and John Meese's homes. When the warrant was handed over to Jorge's wife, Linda, the one who had worked for Mark as his secretary and gotten Jorge his job with Mark, she laughed. She told police that Mark had stolen $200,000 from them in the first place, and she couldn't believe the police were taking these accusations seriously. Jorge admitted to hiring Danny to get his money back, but just said that Danny got carried away, and then he lawyered up and refused to talk anymore. Hmm. Police then picked up Adrian Dorball. He told Cindy they just wanted to ask him a few questions, but she knew what was up. At the townhouse, they found that nearly everything inside had come from Mark Schiller's house. The furniture, the jewelry, electronics, computer equipment, subscription magazines with Mark's name on it. Oh, they took like the magazines. (laughs) Yeah, even the photo album of Mark and Deanna Schiller on their honeymoon. Oh, so weird. Again, the arrogance of thinking that you're just so invincible that you can just keep this stuff in your own apartment, evidence of your crimes, and you just won't ever be caught. Adrian was questioned, and he admitted to kidnapping Mark and then just stopped talking. That seems weird. (laughs) Yeah. John Meese was picked up at the Knight Center in Miami where he was coordinating a bodybuilding competition. Detectives learned that Danny had already fled to the Bahamas, and he wasn't hard to find. He was at a hotel in Nassau and brought back to Miami. Danny was greeted with rows of flashing squad cars on the tarmac when they landed. That does always look so cool. Probably yeah. not to the person yeah. they're waiting for, but I, I do love that scene in the movies. Yeah, absolutely. He got back to Miami. Danny told police the location of Frank and Christina's bodies with the understanding that the police would tell a jury about his cooperation and he might get a lighter sentence. Okay, you still murdered two people. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. When they recovered the bodies, they realized that anything that could identify the bodies had been removed. They'd have to do DNA testing to get a positive ID. And Danny just refused to speak with them anymore. Fortunately, during the autopsy, they discovered that Christina had breast implants. And so they were able to trace those back to the doctor who'd performed the surgery. And this is pretty common now, but this actually was the very first time in Dade County that a primary ID was made through breast implants. An anonymous caller called to tell police where the hands and the rest of the bodies were and also said that it was Adrian and a Dade County corrections officer who put them there. The corrections officer being John Raimondo. Yeah. 
Over the next several months, more arrests were made. Carl Weeks and Stevenson Pierre were arrested for their part in Mark's kidnapping. John Meese had initially been released but was now arrested. What about Big Sabina and Little Mario? Pa- oh. <laughs> yeah. Sabina Petrescu was arrested, and Adrian's new wife that had painted over the blood, Cindy, was also facing charges of accessory after the fact. She'd been married to Adrian for four days before he was arrested, and she realized the whole marriage had only been Adrian's way of of preventing her from testifying against him. And she was arrested. Like, four days after being married, she's arrested. Not just him. Mm-hmm. Right. Cindy agreed to reveal everything she'd seen and heard, which was a lot. And she pleaded guilty to criminal mischief, which is a misdemeanor. And I feel really bad for her because she had absolutely no idea. She got wrapped up in all of this. And even though it's a misdemeanor, I mean, she was a nurse. Like, I'm not sure how this all affected her job, but I'm, I'm sure, her sure face it did. is all over the news. Like, this is probably a big deal. Right. Police were going after anyone and everyone who had taken part in either Mark's kidnapping, the murders, or the cover-up of the murders. That all This also included little Mario, who had helped dump the barrels, another member of Sun Jim that had changed the VIN on Deanna Schiller's BMW before Danny mm-hmm. gave it to Sabina, and big Mario, the guy who'd been paid $1,000 to look intimidating while Danny kidnapped Mark. All of these guys cooperated quickly. Big Mario pleaded guilty to armed kidnapping and got two years. Little Mario had no idea what was in the barrels, uh, so he got a year of probation. Same for the guy who altered the VIN. Sabina cooperated and had more information for police than I think even she was aware that she had just from being around Danny so much. She obviously now knew that he was not a CIA agent and for her cooperation, she was just being charged with theft of a motor vehicle. Okay. Carl Weeks and Stevenson Pierre spilled their guts, pleaded guilty, and got 10-year sentences. For the for the kidnapping and the torture of Mark, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. They weren't in yeah. They weren't involved yeah. in the second half. No, they weren't involved in the murder. Um, they were just like the overnight babysitters of Mark, the the only ones that showed him any kindness at all, according to him, according to Mark. The leaders of the Sun Jim of the Sun Jim gang were indicted on March twenty seventh, nineteen ninety six, for conspiracy to commit the murders of Frank Riga and Christina Furton, and the kidnapping, extortion, and attempted murder of Mark Schiller. It also included RICO charges, which I learned from Sons of Anarchy means basically that if you were involved in any instance of racketeering, which includes murder, even if you didn't do it yourself, you can be charged for it. It was a law created in the 70s to target organized crime because these mob bosses would be like telling other people to do their dirty work and they would be sitting back with clean hands and they couldn't get them on anything because they didn't ever do anything. And then they were able to use RICO because Mark's kidnapping and the double murder were all part of the same criminal enterprise. Mm. Man, is the Sun Gym still open? Um, I don't think okay. so. John Raimondo, the corrections officer and self-titled disposal expert. Yeah, oof, hate that guy. <laughs> I know. Pleaded guilty to one count of kidnapping and was sentenced to eight years. 
Jorge Delgado finally cracked, giving a full confession to Assistant State Attorney Gail Levine, and you'll absolutely hate this. He got 15 years for the kidnapping of Mark Schiller that he orchestrated and helped torture and tried to kill, and five years for his role in the double murder to be served concurrently. What? Why? Basically, because he agreed to testify against everyone else. But, like, there was so much evidence. I don't even think they really needed his testimony. They had Sabina and Cindy to show Danny and Adrian's involvement. There's so many people here. I know. And I don't know. I just think Jorge Delgado sucks so bad. And he was, like, so instrumental in the plot against Mark. He was the one that had the alarm codes. Mark trusted him. Mark like was chosen a family because member. of Jorge. Like, yes, totally. Which leaves our three left players Danny Lugo, Adrian Dorball, and John Meese. Jury selection began in January of 1998. And this is something I've never heard of before, ever in any trial that we've ever talked about. They actually picked two separate juries one to judge Danny Lugo. The other to judge Adrian and John, but the trials would be taking place in the same courtroom at the same time before the two separate juries. So there's like 24 people. Right. Plus alternates. Right. Yeah. 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 But judging different people. One is focused on Adrian and John. The other one focused on Danny. Is that not the weirdest thing you've ever heard of? Yeah. Also, my brain would not be able to compute that. Like, I would not be able to. You're not doing that. Like, there might be certain times that Danny's jury would have to leave the room if there was evidence admissible in Danny's trial that was not in Adrian's and, like, vice versa. so annoying. I know. I'd probably be great at that because I'd be like, nope, don't know who that guy is. (laughs) Just shut my brain off during that part. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I don't need to know this. Shut it off. Yeah. I'm like, who's that? Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm. This weird double trial began on February 24th, 1998, and lasted nearly 10 weeks. That's how much evidence they had. It was the longest, most expensive trial ever in Dade County, which is probably why they were doing both of them at the same time, honestly. But I mean, 10 weeks? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here, though. I mean... There were over... 1,200 pieces of physical evidence and 98 witnesses. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You told me about all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I've named every single one. One of those uh, was Mark Schiller, who had been flying back and forth from Miami to Columbia this whole time to help with the prosecution's case. Uh, The other 97 were, I'll list them here. Okay. (laughs) Linked in the show notes. (laughs) The only defense presented was for John Meese, and only one witness was called to the stand. Danny and Adrian did not present any kind of defense at all, and neither Danny, Adrian, nor John ever testified at their trial. So, like, if you're not going to put up a defense, why not just plead guilty? Why go through the trial? You know their attorneys are like, well, we ain't got shit to say here. Right. Well, the jury came back on May 4th, 1998, my birthday. How old were you, 1998? 
12. Yeah. It was my 12th birthday. Yeah. Little baby Kristen. <laughs> trying to figure out who she was and trying Didn't to fit know in. Be and... talking about this. No kidding. Danny was convicted of 18 charges, including the two murders, racketeering, kidnapping, attempted extortion, theft, attempted murder, armed robbery, burglary, money laundering, and forgery. Like, I'm not sure there is a crime that exists that he wasn't convicted of here. He did all the crimes. wire fraud. I feel like that's the one that always gets someone. And tax evasion. He did all the crime possible. Adrian was convicted of the two murders as well as 13 additional charges. Both juries recommended death sentences for Danny and for Adrian, and it took them less than 20 minutes to decide on that. Oh, shit. I know. John Meese was also convicted of two counts of first-degree murder, which honestly kind of surprised me because I'm still not 100% sure, like, what all John was involved with. Like, was he in the warehouse with them? Like, I'm not really certain. I didn't think so, but maybe we just don't have that info. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just thought he was, like, really the puppeteer. I mean, I know Danny was pulling all the strings, but I just feel like John was like, you know, like even a a layer above, like the godfather almost. Yeah, Danny couldn't have figured out all of the, how to transfer all these assets. Right. Without John. Um, So he was convicted of two counts of murder, uh, first degree murder, racketeering, money laundering, fraudulent notary, forgery, 39 felony counts in all. Oh my gosh. The night before the trial, John had been offered nine years in prison, of which he'd already served two and a half at this point. Oh, you're but taking he rejected that. that oh, he rejected that deal. Can you believe you're an that? Idiot. What a what an idiot. I mean, honestly, with, and he put up no defense, but he's rejecting a nine year. He'd have to serve seven and a half, probably five, because you know they just let yeah. people out early. Good behavior and all that. Good behavior. Yeah, he rejected the deal. He was then sentenced to 56 years in prison, um, and he died from a heart attack in 2006. Are you like, mm, I'll take my nine. I prefer the nine. Like, yeah. Can you give me that nine back? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I don't know why. Like, you're not going to put up a defense at all. Did you not think that they had anything on you? Like, Yeah, you already they said ha- that. The they state- thought they were invincible. All of them. But the state has to turn over all the evidence they have against you. Like, they have to show you all the evidence. Like, yeah, no one's didn't they that. look at it? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what the lawyers are for. They're not, they're not, yeah. you know, representing themselves here. I don't know. Maybe. Sometimes they like to do that. Well, we've seen that recently, but these guys were not. Things have changed in Florida since this trial, but at the time, the jury could only recommend a death penalty. They can't impose one. And they only needed a majority vote to recommend. So it wasn't even a unanimous vote needed for death. They just need a majority. But was it one? Probably. Once they've recommended it, yeah, because it only took them 20 minutes to decide. So probably. (laughs) Once they've recommended it, There needed to be a trial before a judge who would evaluate the evidence to make sure that there was enough aggravating circumstances to get a death sentence. So one more hearing was required. 
at the hearing, Adrian Doorbell had requested to marry a secretary that he'd been dating from behind bars. Like, this guy. Like, give it up, dude. And his request was denied because he still had $700,000 of Mark Schiller's money in an account. And the judge didn't want any marriage to get in the way of getting that money transferred. Also at the hearing, Mark Schiller took the stand in front of his kidnappers and torturers and spoke about what they'd done to him, how he'd spent weeks, four weeks, with duct tape wrapped around his eyes, the burns, the shocks. He still had scars. His wife had dwindled to 84 pounds due to the stress of this whole thing. He said neither of them, nor Jorge Delgado, who only got 15 years and not a death sentence. Like, these guys get death, but Jorge Delgado gets 15 years. He said none of them deserve to enter society again. Danny Lugo and Adrian Doorbell both received two death sentences. Two. They each received two death sentences. As Mark Schiller walked out of the courtroom... His horrific journey was finally over. He could finally look forward to healing. Until outside the courtroom steps, he was commanded to stop and then arrested. (gasps) Turned out he'd been the last target of the prosecution. They were just waiting for him to help out with these trials before they arrested him. for what? He was being charged with running a Medicare fraud scam that he'd made about $14 million on. And for that, he faced up to 25 years in prison, 10 years more than Jorge Delgado got for kidnapping and murder. Wait, did he do that Medicare thing? I thought that was someone else. Um, Yeah, I think he did. I don't know. This whole Medicare Wait, thing is weird. You can't just throw that in there. I, I don't have a lot of information on it. Like literally his book kind of didn't really mention it. I had, I, in fact, I didn't even know about it until I think the article maybe talked about it, but I read about it somewhere else and I was like, wait, hold up. <laughs> in February of 1999, Mark Schiller pleaded guilty to one federal count of false Medicare billing and the judge in the Sun Jim Gangs trial actually spoke in his favor of Mark at his sentencing hearing, which is extremely rare. This judge had never done something like that before, but he thought that Mark had shown amazing character through this whole thing and had devoted three and a half years of his life to bringing down some very dangerous people. And he said at his hearing that he thinks what Mark went through should be given some credit because he didn't think it could have been worse if he was a prisoner of war. I'm sorry, though. Okay, but this does like, I don't think anyone should have to go through what Mark went through, but Medicare fraud? $14 $14 million? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of, like, changes how I'm feeling over here a little bit. <laughs> On Wednesday, March 17th, 1999, Mark Schiller was sentenced to 46 months in prison, which was the most lenient sentence available. I think he served a year. There was nothing in his book about this Medicare fraud scam. Hopefully he's not in the same prison as these yahoos. Yeah, they're all hopefully like not. In, a, in cellmates. <laughs> yeah, I'm hopefully they're separated. Mark Schiller says he doesn't think about that episode of his life anymore. He's decided to move on and not dwell on the past. 
Good for you, Mark. I don't know how you don't. I know. But he did later sue the movie Pain and Gain, the one that was made about this with Mark Wahlberg and The Rock and all of them. Because they portrayed him as this, like, awful, horrible guy whose employees all hated him. And they portrayed the kidnappers, you know, Mark Wahlberg, The Rock, Rock. Anthony Mackie, as nice guys who were just bumbling fools. Like, Mark Wahlberg was Danny, Anthony Mackie was Adrian, and The Rock was, like, a combination of Jorge, Carl, and Pierre. I don't really know what the truth is about Mark. And I also don't think it matters because even if he was a person that all his employees hated, he was also definitely tortured for a month by sadistic assholes, not nice bumbling idiots. I don't like the idea that they took this story with these horrific people capable of these horrific things and decided to make them the sympathetic characters. Like, it would probably be a hilarious and fun movie if it weren't based on this, like, very real and horrible crime. And Paramount Pictures ended up settling with Mark Schiller for an undisclosed amount. Then I hate it when they do that. Yeah, I know. Just close it. Just close the amount. We all want to (laughs) know. Yeah. And that is the story of the Sun Jim Gang. I don't know if Danny and um, if they are, like, still alive. Danny kind of looks like Ben Stiller to me. Let's see. Um, nope, looks like he's still kicking. Danny Lugo, execution date. Oh, he got a death row reprieve. That's great. Okay. Mm. <sighs> Easier than for Richard Glossop. All right, do we have any <laughs> Adnan Silja. That's that's our new. <laughs> Richard Glossop. Yes, we do. Oh, yay. Okay. Shout out time. All right. Are you going to go first? Yes, I will. Because I read this one differently than what it is. So major shouts to Julia Salazar. But tell me why I read that is Julia Caesar. (laughs) When I looked over. It's not. No, Julia not Caesar. Julia Caesar. <laughs> Major Julia shouts Julia Salazar. Salazar. Thank you so much. Beware the Ides of March, girl. Our next one. Thank you so much to Brooke Atkinson. Brooke, yeah, Brooke. Atkinson. Thank you so much. We love you, Brooke. Thanks for being a patron. Hey, Brooke, do you take like a hot yoga class and then like hop over and get your latte (laughs) and then go work as like a wealth management advisor in Chicago? Because that's what I'm picturing. Let us know. 100%. I totally agree. (laughs) Every part of that. And you definitely wear pencil skirts to work, right? Like the Yeah, of course she can. Because she's built where she can, unlike Mm -hmm. me with no torso and huge, yeah. Yeah, you go, Brooke, in your pencil skirts. <laughs> and high heels every day because Brooke doesn't wear flats. Okay. Yeah. Major shouts. Man, we have so many Denises. Denise Melton. Thanks, D-Nice. We love you, girl. <laughs> D-Nice. And next up, Michelle. Oh, okay, Nancy Grace. Yes, that is a southern accent pronunciation. Get over here, Michelle. Michelle. 
my um my old boss we haven't gotten a southern pronunciation i know my old boss at the waffle his daughter's name is michelle and he would call her Mm -hmm. michelle he's always like i gotta talk to michelle yeah every time i gotta call michelle no michelle michelle (laughs) does your dad manage a waffle house i hope so for your sake girl well, thank you all so much for listening. Um, and go sign up for the Patreon. And if you do, give me your address, people. Yeah, otherwise, Mogab cannot send you a card. And I'm not tracking you down. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram. We are also on Facebook, on the Facebook discussion group, the True Crime Creepers discussion group. And sometimes on Twitter. And yeah, that's it. So thanks so much. That'd be all, folks. (laughs) Wow. Bye, peeps and creeps.